Hey, everybody. It's your old pal, Merlin. And uh, believe it or not, you are listening to the Back to Work program. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, your friend and mine, uh, Dan Benjamin, poor fella, is uh, is feeling, uh, you can hear the train going by. Um, poor Dan's feeling a little under the weather today. And and I, and I said to Dan, I says, uh, uh, why don't you let me try doing it on my own? And, uh, you know, he's real sick, so he said yes. I mean, it's not that he's he's a lazy man. Uh, uh, it's it's just that uh, you know it's 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 dangerous to have me do this kind of thing on my own. I used to do this for the uh, Forty Three Folders podcast, where I would just talk to myself and and then assume other people will listen. And that's what we're doing today. And, and just just to assure you, uh, we we will be back, uh, God willing, we'll be back with our normal lineup and configuration next week. But uh, you know, but here goes. I um I tried to think about what I what I could say to you all. I, I asked my friend. Uh, a friend of the show, John Syracuse, for advice. And, and this is an exact quote. He said, uh, try to remember to pronounce all your words correctly, is what he said to me. So I, that's a, that is, as John Syracuse says, a big, a big ask. It's a big lift. I can't promise you that I'm going to pronounce anything correctly. Uh, but he's not here to correct me. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to do that on your own. Um, you know, uh, email John, I guess. Um, so, so welcome to Back to Work uh, episode. Uh, what is this? Four three zero of Dan's Back to Work program. And, and listen, today, um, today I want to talk to you about painting Dungeons and Dragons miniatures. I don't know why you're leaving. Please stay. Uh, just, just hear me out. I want to talk about D and D miniatures. Now, now, if you've never seen these things, uh, these have been around. You know, since Christ was a corporal, they used to be made of lead. Now I think they're made of plastic. But the, the little figures that you use uh, when you're playing D&D, if you want to, and you, you move them around on like a hex paper or what have you, and they represent your character. And you, you can buy these things, uh, you know, pre-made. And uh, if you want to, you know, you can paint them. And, and you can even obsess over painting them, as I've learned. But uh, just to give you some context, they've been around a while. So why am I telling you this? Well, you know, my uh, my kid just finished uh, fifth grade, and uh, we had a uh, an in between week, an interregnum between the end of the school year and um, camp starting. Uh, so last week we had to find some excursions to do. We had to find things to do. We had to, you know, go out and find adventures. You, you know, you you can't watch um, Gravity Falls all day. Even, even though that would be fun. And so one of our excursions, I, I, I had a feeling this one was going to be a banger. I told her, we're going to have Daddy Daughter Nerd Day, and uh, we're going we're gonna to go to uh, to a store that we've been wanting to go to for a really long time. And this is a, a, a if you're in the Bay Area, you should check this place out. It's pretty great. There's a place on Divisadero called Gamescape. I said, look. I said, said to my daughter, I say, look, we're going to go to this place. I showed her some photos on the internet of what it looks like. And it is, it's basically nerd heaven. It's, it's what in my day we would have called a hobby shop. You know, when I was a youngster, you had a hobby shop and that's a place where you could buy Estes rockets. You could pick up some D engines for your Estes rockets. Uh, they, they might have some, uh, some up video games, you know, um, the stuff like model kits, you know, and increasingly in the eighties, it, it became a place that had lots of games, most especially tabletop games, like the titular Dungeons and Dragons. Thank you, Gary Gygax. And so I says to her, I says, look, you know, let's go, let's go check this out. Just, let's just give it a try. And it wasn't, it wasn't too much of a sell because I'm, I'm going to tell you something uh, that, that is, it's not shameful, but it's not great. doesn't make me look good. Uh, you know, the thing where kids get into a thing, even though they don't really know that much about the thing. Well, my, my kid, um, because partly because her dad and to some extent her mom, 
have gotten really into Game of Thrones, she has by extension gotten into Game of Thrones. Now, let me put you at ease. She has not been sat down to watch an entire episode of Game of Thrones. That would be irresponsible. There has been some scope creep with protecting the child uh, over time. What started out as no way can you see any of this became, okay, we'll watch this uh, YouTube video that I've watched, this 50-minute video of like all the things that happen in Game of Thrones. Sorry, John Syracuse. Uh, you know, and, and it led to, you know, a compilation of, uh, you know, Daenerys doing stuff with dragons. And it dovetailed really nicely with several of both of our interests, which include... Just generalized nerd culture, the productization of nerd culture, I hate to admit, but you know, she's been into the comics, comic books for a long time. She's very into uh, those those uh, books about dragons, what's it called, Wings of Fire. She likes a lot of this stuff. Uh, so long story short, she knows more than any child should know about Game of Thrones. She knows about the sigils and the banners. She knows who's who. She knows uh, who, who's a baddie and who's not. She knows just avoid... Avoid the Boltons at all costs, really. If there's one thing to take away from this podcast episode, please stay away from the Boltons. They're not great people. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, there's been some scope creep. So she, yeah, let's, let's, let, okay. She's seen, she's seen the scene where, where Joffrey gets, uh, gets done in. Sorry, spoilers for Game of Thrones. She, she's seen that and she loves it because she knows that Joffrey is the second worst after Ramsey Bolton. She's seen that a couple times. And, uh, and she knew about um, my wife and my enthusiasm for what was going to happen in this final season and how, yeah, you really need to get to bed by a certain time on Sunday nights because mom and dad are going to have uh, their special time. But just so you know, as you as you get older in marriage, your special time becomes watching a, a program that's not safe for children. You know, it's it's uh, it takes less energy than the other things. But you know, she's aware of that she you know she even has she for by her father uh, purchases have been made. She has little figures. She not 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 the not the Funko Pops that everybody gets, but these nice Funko Pops. She's got their Funkos, Funkos. She's got a Funko of, of Daenerys uh, with a dragon, uh, Tyrion with, with a uh, glass of wine. She's got a, a Jon Snow. Uh, if memory serves, I think he might have a wolf. I don't remember. And, and she's got a um, a Night King. So she's very into this. She's been to the website where you can go and interactively see like where people were at various points in the book and in the TV show. And, you know, it's think about it, man. It's really, it's, man, that is nerd fuel. If I was her age, woof. I mean, I wasn't that much older than her when I got into D&D. At first, I scoffed at D&D, and I told my friends that they're dorks. But then I found myself very into it. And as listeners to this program will know, uh, I got very into the uh, accessories of D&D. I got very into the books. I got very into the maps. And honestly, you know, I, I got pretty into the figures at one point, and we're going to come back to that in a second. But the, the, um, the titular mission for this trip to Gamescape during the Interregnum week was to go and see if they had any cool Game of Thrones stuff, maybe pick up a board game to play, and in my pocket, figuratively, I also happened to know that they had a large collection of uh, minifigs for tabletop games. And I had a feeling she might, might like that. I had a feeling, you know, given that she likes little collectible things and displaying them, she has an entire area that is just for her nerd collections. She has, uh, you know, she keeps her Harry Potter wands and, and stuff in, in a place. So anyway, long story short... It's the interregnum week, and we need to go on a mission. And, and so we go to this place. We go to this place called Gamescape. It's really cool. Um, and true to mission, like we, we got there in the early afternoon, and this place was great. There was hardly anybody there. It was, I don't know, 
week or so ago and it was uh, it was pretty empty and uh the people were real nice and we looked around and uh you know to be honest the the, the real mission inside the mission was this is embarrassing we thought it would be kind of cool if we could find a game of thrones map that she could put on her wall she's she's very interested this is westeros this is essos and i thought that was pretty cool too and i thought you know you never know they might they might have a, a game of thrones map well as it turns out they they didn't have a game of thrones map they did have some really cool uh, game of thrones card game you know and we picked up a lannister pack and uh and we got uh what else did we get we got some other things but eventually she she, she didn't want to go over to where the miniatures were cuz they were restocking and you know and there's people and, and kids don't like people you know but, but eventually I went over there and I was checking them out and I was whisked back to another age because this, when you're, when you're 14 years old, you don't have a lot of dough or agency and like you, you want all the things, but you can't have all the things. And I was like, as they say, a kid in a candy shop because they had so many great figs at this place. And here's, here's the, here's the, uh, the, uh, the chaser, they were really not very expensive. Here's the thing. They don't make these things out of, out of uh, metals. They don't make like lead heavy metal figures. They're these beautiful little figures, very beautifully done, kind of nicer in some ways than the Ralph Partha uh, of my day. Don't at me. And they're pre-primed. So we had no intention to go in and paint, get things to paint. We thought, you know, get some little figurines. It'd be fun. So, so here's what happened. We went over there. And I was very suddenly weirdly enthusiastic about this. And I picked out some really cool ones. I picked out a, I picked out a cool little um, like uh, two male elf uh, paladins that were totally boss looking. And she got interested and curious. They, they had packs of these, two, two of them for five bucks. And you get a big ass dragon for like 15 bucks. And so we picked up some miniatures with the intention of mostly just having them around. Yeah. Yeah, and then she's like, you know, uh, what about painting these? And I was like, huh, what about painting these? It's summertime. You, my daughter, could use a hobby. Maybe we should look into what's involved with painting these. Now, of course, here's here's the nut graph for me. I'm instantly thinking, how do we do this properly? How do we how do we prepare for this? How, what things do we need to know? And I'm up there like some kind of freaking uh, fantasy lawyer asking the man at the store, what do we need to know about this? Or should we get books on this? Do, do, I, I'm guessing we'll watch YouTube videos. What do we do to properly paint our newly acquired Dungeons and Dragons figurines and he was like oh you know it's you know, pretty straightforward in fact he said here's this uh this pretty good little starter pack it wasn't very costly it's a little starter pack you get some paints i'll put it in show notes you, you get uh, you get some paints and you get some washes whatever that is and you get a brush and so we picked those up and the entire time i had this thing going through my head which is what happened when i was into dnd and i tried to paint little lead men, as my later on girlfriends would call it. Oh, you get your little lead men. And I have to tell you, I sucked so bad, like so embarrassingly bad. Again, I was not a child of means. So here's the, here's the, here's the uh, materials that I had. I had a cleric. I had a little cleric. And here's what I had. I had some probably five-year-old little jars of testers paint. I don't know if you remember these. Testers were like these little, little super shiny paints that you would use for models not super nice, but it, every geek had them around the house. I had, I, so when I was a kid, when I was a little older than her, I had some tester, I had a cleric, I had some testers paints, and I had a single crappy paintbrush. And I didn't know what to do. That We didn't have the YouTube, you know? 
I had a I had a lead man and some paint, and I made the most horrific cleric you've ever seen in your life. It was so embarrassing. I painted. Uh, I made a red cleric. I made I made a red a shiny shiny red cleric that looked like crap. So basically, I felt like I had wasted my my little lead man. I'd wasted my cleric with this terrible painting. I'm 52 years old, and I still feel bad about that. And 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 with her going into this, I'm thinking to myself, as you do. I don't want her to feel bad about this. Like like everybody, it's easy to start something and feel like you're not very good at it and get frustrated. And everybody has a history of this and feeling like you did a dumb thing and then you're not interested in the thing anymore. And it has happened historically. And and so I'm I'm frenzied about how we should do this properly. We got the starter kit. We got these cool and here's the thing, these these miniatures were even less costly, dollar for dollar. They were less costly than when I was buying these in 1982, which blew my mind. So so we got a few of these. And the whole time now I'm we're having lunch, you know, it's it's daddy daughter nerd day and we were having lunch. We went to Popeyes. She doesn't like Popeyes, I do. But I, I was telling her, look, now, you know, we got really you got there's a lot to this and and you know, I told her about my shiny red cleric and she's like whatever, like let's just go home. And I'm like, no, but here's the thing, like when you do this, you got to have as uh, Dan Benjamin says, you got to have grit. Like, you're not going to be great at this the first time. And you, uh, I basically, I gave her a speech about how she should overthink fun, I think is mostly what I did. I, I had a three-piece uh, spicy meal with red beans and rice. And while I was having it, I think I mostly gave her a lecture based on my 14-year-old self about how to feel bad before you even do something. So you can probably see where this is going. Maybe not. So so we come home and we got all of our supplies and we're checking out our stuff. And and uh, and, and and I'm thinking like, oh, I wonder if she's even gonna want to do this. No, like I go to take a leak and I come back. She has put down a brown craft paper taped to the table. She is ready. She's got the stuff out. She's already got like, uh, she's got, she's had some palettes around for painting. She gets a little palette out and she's already squirting paint into the, into the palettes. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down tiger not so fast let's let's not uh, this isn't going to be a magnus rushes in situation let's settle and we did listen to the adventure zone while we were doing this by the way i was like look, look, look first you, you got to educate yourself you got to learn we should go watch probably an hour of youtube videos we certainly should go i don't know like a, a wiki how and like really load up on information about how to paint a, a figure and i was so freaking proud of her and so ashamed of myself because she dug in and she kind of got it real fast. I think we watched maybe one YouTube video. I, I'll put some some really good uh, tutorials in notes if you are interested in this incredibly obscure topic. Um, but but you know, I was overthinking it. I'm way overthinking it. I'm feeling like I need so much more information in order to even begin my fun. I need to go load up. I need to over prepare so that there is absolutely no opportunity of failure on my part. And by extension, I can be the wise man. And I could be, I could be the uh, what do you, what's the guy's name? Greystock, G Gandorf, whatever, whatever that uh, the the wizard is. Like I'm going to be the smart guy and tell her, no, 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 you don't want a shiny red cleric. Let me help in inform you on this. And so you can see where this is going. She dove in. The first thing she painted was a little treasure chest, and she painted such a cool, fearless treasure chest. She just got. This is not about her. It's it's about me. But it was a really cool treasure chest, and she did a good job. And she even figured out how to use a wash. And just so you know, a wash is a thing. It's like a heavily diluted paint that you put on after it has dried a little bit, and it fills in all the crevices and makes it look really good. 
you can see that in these tutorials. But like, you know, I, I'd gone to lay down because I'd all had all of that chicken. I was so full of chicken, which always makes me tired. And I don't know why I go to Popeye's, but I love it. But I went and I didn't have a nap, but I did have a lie down. And I kept hearing her, her talking to, uh, talking to uh, Alexa and executing, Alexa, stop, Alexa, go home. She talked to the Amazon device dingus and was doing timers. And I, and I came out and I was like, what's going on out here? She's like, oh, I'm just waiting for this one to dry while I work on this one. And, and she was doing great. I hadn't, I had not even picked up our shared brush to get started on this. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I know this is the kind of thing uh, I say to you. It sounds insincere, but like, you're really good at this. And she's like, yeah, I know this. I, I really like these and I like what I did with them. And so at this point, I figure I'm going to jump into, and maybe I'll use the brush. We have the one brush between us at this point. And, uh, and I start, and she's painted, a, she's painted a very cool little mushroom man at this point. She made a mushroom man with little dots on it. She made a unicorn that was extremely subtle. She's doing all of this. I just went to have a lie down because of my chicken. I come back, she, she's running timers, she's painting unicorns, and, and I'm standing there with the brush in my hand. So I, I did jump in a little bit. And because because I, I did and I did watch some YouTube videos and I, I I I but I was very very nervous about doing this because I didn't want a shiny red cleric. Let's be honest. And you know what? Um, I started painting one of my little. I had a little box. It wasn't a treasure chest, but it was a cool little box. The little objects are almost as cool as the people. Um, and and, and I, I was way overthinking it. And you know, it was it, it was fine, but I was trying to do all the right things. I did the right amount of mixing. I, I diluted the paint correctly according to the YouTube video, and, and I waited for it to dry. And then I did some dry brush highlighting with hardly any white paint at all, and I did a wash. And by the time I was done, I had a brown box that was fine. So all of my fear and all of my education basically led me up to having a, 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 a not that interesting brown box. And at this point, she has moved on. Now she's painting, it wasn't a golem, but she, this, oh, it was a troll. She painted this giant troll and she's like, oh, uh, I'm not as into the way the troll turned out, but I'm going to get going on another one. And I'm like, who, who is this magic child? I would be, I would be sitting and crying because that wasn't exactly what I wanted. Aha! Ah, uh, you know, maybe I should uh, prepare more. She was doing great with it. Why am I telling you all of this? I don't know. It's really been fun. It's a great daddy-daughter hobby, and I, I really recommend it. But you know, the thing that really struck me uh, and kept re-striking me over and over was that, well, first of all, this is fun. You know uh, how how awful must I be to take something that's supposed to be fun and turn it into some fake educational thing based on my own goddamn anxieties about 1982. It was really weird of me. But I think the reason I'm mentioning it here, well, Dan's not here, so I can talk about mostly whatever I want as long as I don't curse. Preparation makes us feel secure. Or the desire for preparation makes us feel like we might be secure. And here's the thing. Sometimes that's true. You know, it's probably good to have a little uh, cash on hand and an earthquake kit and flashlights that work and all that kind of reasonable stuff that you would want to remain safe and secure. Uh, but don't overthink your figurines. I was overthinking my figurines and I was making it not fun and I was stressing about it because I didn't want to suck and I didn't want to fail. And that, that, so that, that's a huge part of it. But I did that thing I promised myself that I would never do. I promised myself before my kid was born that to the extent possible, I would never intentionally or probably unintentionally pass my anxieties on to my daughter. And that apparently was what I was trying to do. But you know what? She was too cool for it. 
She was too self-possessed and interested in the fun that all of my admonitions about learning the proper way to paint a goddamn plastic thing just washed right off of her. And she just did, she just did the thing and it was really fun. It was really fun and it turned out great. Now, I got, I got a little better at this. I did watch some more YouTube videos because, you know, I am how I am. And, and again, check those out in show notes because they're really good. But uh, eventually I got down to where like, I was like, you know what? I have to stop this timidity that I, I had a whole process. I had a whole process. Was like, I've got three of these boxes. I'm going to paint this box and I'm going to keep it because I know it'll suck. And, and I used a silver Sharpie to write one on the bottom so I could watch my progress. And then I painted a second brown box and it still kind of sucked. You know, it was a little less muddy looking, but it wasn't great. And I was like, you know what? I need to just put this aside. And, and for like half a second, I said to myself, you know, don't be an idiot. Just paint, just paint the goddamn paladin. And that's what I did. And I sat down and I, and I did the paints and I thought about it a little bit and I thought about, okay, I know you're supposed to start with the areas where there's a lot of color. That seems really sensible. But one, one great piece of advice in, in one of these videos was don't worry about this. If you're doing your first coat of paint on this, you don't have to paint these at all. But if you choose to do this, yeah, do this. Start with the large areas. Don't overthink all the different shininess is of the armor. You don't have to have a different brass belt buckle, different from the armor, different from this part of the armor, different from the sword. You just, just put that on. And you know what? If you paint the wrong thing, the wrong color, don't worry about it. You can always go back and redo that. And at the end of the day, we're talking about $2.50 American of plastic, plus the cost of paint. So, so just have fun with it. And that's what I did. That's what I did. No, no, I'm not here to tell you. You'll probably see this in show notes. I'm not here to tell you that, that my, my, my elf paladin is the coolest thing ever. But I was so happy with how it turned out because I focused on the fun. And I said, I had, I had some preparation for sure. I was still over. Now at this point, she's moved on. She's done many more figures. She, she's done a table and she's done stools and, and she's painting scrolls. At this point, she's way ahead of me. She's made a whole goddamn wizard store out of stuff. And, and I'm sitting there with my paladin. Now, I have to admit, I like the way that my paladin is turning out. I like I liked it really well. I liked it enough to take a photo of it and put it up because I was really proud of myself. And I, it wasn't that I was proud of myself because I'd made a professional class miniature figurine. I was proud of myself that I eventually got to where I could set aside my own fear and my own anxiety and my own stupid pent-up idea of how I can feel secure about fun. And I just painted the goddamn paladin. <sighs> And, it, and you know, this whole process though, the last thing on this, I'm, I'm talking about something Dan likes, but is that uh, this reminded me so much of previous things where I've screwed up. Ironically enough, you wouldn't expect this with me, but it reminded me of other things I've screwed up. Why other things have been so hard for me to start or so hard for me to do, or eventually so hard for me to theoretically finish. Let's not even get into the whole book thing, but let's talk about, let's talk about productivity porn and let's talk about the need to buy a notebook and then a case for the notebook and then a pen and then like a holder for the pen and all of the things. And the entire time the notebook is not getting filled in. Well, I was living that 52 years old and I'm living that with my kid right there. But that little person in front of me uh, made me want to paint a paladin. And that's what I did. Now, of course, now, you know me, now we've gotten more into it. And I got all this crap that I probably don't need. We got some way nicer paintbrushes. We got a variety of paintbrushes that I don't even know. What, I don't know what stipple brush does. Don't email me. But I'll figure it out. But we got we got paints. We got some um, soap to clean the brushes because sometimes somebody forgets to uh, you know rinse the brush and it gets a little bit funky. Um, we got a oh, we got a holder for the paint brushes. And now the entire dining room table has been overtaken by this. 
And uh, her mother has been extremely patient about it. And I don't know why I'm telling you this. Nan isn't here. I guess what I want to say is, well, you know, first of all, this can be very fun. Uh, it's a fun nerd thing. And uh, and as I'll tell you a little bit later, I've discovered a website you can go to where you can get a bunch of different, whole bunch of different kinds. They got My Little Pony ones coming soon. We're very excited to uh, have an Applejack that can be painted. But I guess what I want to say is... Uh, I need to, I say this because I need to hear this and I, I hope it'll be useful to you too. Uh, just remember, remember, fun is supposed to be fun, but also remember there is no amount, no amount of preparation that will ever truly make you secure. Sometimes you just need to start painting the paladin. I, you know, the shield was pretty easy, but like, I'm, I don't know about his armor. Anyway, I'm going to put that aside because I have other ones. I have other ones. $2.50. That's what we're talking about. Why am I stressing about fun? Anyway, Dungeons and Dragons, it's a hell of a thing. We still haven't played the actual game, but we've got some really, really cool figures. Let me tell you about something that Dan and I like, which is uh, something called Lunar Display. Now, I think I think we, we've talked about this on here before. Lunar Display is this, um, it, It's the, it, let me tell you what they told us to say. It's the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. Now, now the way this works is you get this little, this little uh, is, is it a dingus? Is it a dongle? I don't know. It's tiny and it's adorable. And you plug it into a port on your Mac. You install a little bit of software and guess what happens? You are now using your iPad to manipulate things on your Mac. Now, I know this sounds like the kind of uh, dark magic that a D&D wizard would do, but it's actually real, and it's true, and it's crazy cool. So you're, I'm sitting there, I got my iPad, and on the iPad, when you have this thing, you get this whole interface. You see a portion of your Mac on your iPad. You can choose which portion of your Mac you even see. You get menus. You can do stuff. You can even use your pencil with it. This thing is just amazing. Uh, it's a super portable second display for your Mac with stunning image quality and virtually zero lag. This is all true. So whether you're at the coffee shop, a co-working space, or an airplane, Luna gives you the freedom to bring your workspace with you wherever you go. Luna sets up in seconds and it works instantly over your existing Wi-Fi or even over uh, uh, USB uh, when you don't have Wi-Fi. Well, when don't you have Wi-Fi? Oof. Oof, it makes me, makes me shudder. Turns your iPad into a complete extension of your Mac so you can seamlessly move uh, windows between your Mac to your iPad. It has full support for external keyboards. This thing is bananas. Apple Pencil, touch interactions. It literally turns your Mac into a touchable device. You can walk around with your iPad and be using your Mac. This thing is crazy. And and I, it's probably not for everybody, but like, man, just for the cost of this, it's not super costly. You, you bring a little bit of black magic into your house with this. I hope I'm allowed to say that. Um, and right now, Back to Work listeners can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. All you got to do is go to lunadisplay.com. That's L-U-N-A display.com. And then enter the promo code back to work, one word, at checkout. That gets you 10% uh, off your uh, Luna Display. So, uh, you know, our thanks to Luna Display for supporting 5x5 and Back to Work. So I got coffee. I got a seltzer. I got, I got another seltzer because I think I'm probably going to need it. Mm. Mm. Gosh, I hope Dan's feeling better. That's no fun. It's no fun to be sick. Um, I want to talk about some, uh, some letters that we've gotten from listeners. Um, not very long ago, we got some great feedback on this. Um, listener Brian contacted us with a question about how to take notes in college, which I thought was a great question. Uh, I admitted uh, to Brian and the world that I have no idea because I kind of sucked at it in college. Plus, I haven't been in college in... 30 years. So I, I had no idea. We've got a lot of nice feedback. I'm going to highlight three nice pieces of feedback that we got. Uh, listener Cian had some very good, uh, just sort of general thoughts. Quoting here, regarding listener feedback on note-taking in college, I can offer some methods that I've seen over my last five years. 
uh, and he, he thoughtfully gives us a, a bulleted list, sorted in descending popularity. God, I love the Irish. He says, as lecture notes are often available in advance, one can annotate a copy during lectures. You already get the notes, and then you annotate them. Whether it be a hard copy uh, with pen and paper or a soft copy with tablet and stylus, that's super good. Uh, another one, transcribe interesting sections of whiteboard workings on pen and paper. Transcribe the lecturer's words with a laptop. Simply listen. See, that's where I got hung up. I would think way more about the notes I was taking than the listening that I should have been doing. Take photos of the whiteboard periodically. I imagine this still exists. There are some actually some pretty cool apps out there that um, you can use to take a photo of. This is me talking. Merlin, hi, how's it going? Uh, you can actually take a, a photo of a whiteboard and uh, it'll do a lot of the heavy lifting uh, with uh, getting that fixed up and looking good. Um, uh, film the whiteboard and get audio for free. I don't understand that, but... Uh, I think he means make a movie. I don't know. His source for this is something called Finishing a Master of Engineering. Uh, da, 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 da. There's a bias to pen and paper as laptops aren't helpful for writing maths. Yes, I'm Irish, CN says. Oh, thanks, CN. It wasn't like your name was enough of a giveaway. It's a cool name. Uh, thank you to uh, listener CN for some thoughts. Uh, further to this, uh, we got feedback from listener Josh who talks about um, the value of written notes over electronic notes. And I thought this was super interesting. Uh, quoting listener Josh, something interesting about physics and mathematics that as far as I can tell is completely unique to these subjects is that there are no laptops at all in the lecture hall. Everyone I know brought, I think it's not that they're forbidden, it's just people don't bring them. Everyone I knew brought along notebooks or paper and wrote everything down. I get through three to five pages of letter-sized paper every lecture, and looking at the people I knew, nobody really went back and looked at these notes so much. Uh, as you said on the show, it was mainly for writing this down now, so I can remember it now. I, I'm kind of paraphrasing, I think, what Field Notes says. I'm, writing, I'm not writing this down to remember it later, I'm writing it down to remember it now. He continues, uh, I think the reason for this is because of the way the lectures are structured, which again, I think is completely unique to these two subjects, uh, the, 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 the lecturer has their own copy of the notes uh, that they want to teach, and they stand at the board and essentially write these notes with diagrams while they explain what's going on. Um, the done thing was usually to copy these notes down and add your own things if you thought that was necessary. Something I think is different outside the U.S. is that uh, usually these lecturers would then share copies of their own notes online, completely typeset with diagrams. Uh, thank you to uh, listener Josh for that. Yeah, I think this is this is this is super interesting. Um, I don't remember ever getting. I remember having a syllabus, but I don't ever remember getting. Maybe it's because I wasn't in maths. Maybe it's because I was in poems, you know, and literatures. But uh, but I, I don't remember that at all. But uh, that's really cool. Uh, finally, from uh, listener James, his suggestion is to rewrite your notes. And I feel like I remember some of the superstars doing this and working for them. Uh, quoting listener James, my own experience regarding note-taking in college from decades ago, for what it's worth. The key thing for me was to rewrite notes taken in class. I can't take, uh, note, I can't take neat notes either, usually because you're trying to get everything down, the lecturer says in Mad Scribbles. By rewriting uh, not too long after they were taken and making them organized, they could be a primary study guide. I got a significant cognitive boost from the rewriting exercise, I felt. This worked very well for many classes that had a lot of didactic information to understand. The downside is that it's time-consuming, but studying generally takes time. So whatever works, this did for me. Thank you to uh, listener James. Yeah, so maybe some of these are helpful. I mean, like I, like I say, I, I don't have a lot uh, based on data to share. I, I'm glad our listeners had uh, more concrete ideas. But the things uh, top of mind for me is, like I say, Remember what the notes are going to be for. Um, and I guess that's going to vary a lot depending on the class and the discipline. Um, but I would say very much keep in mind what you intend to use these for. Um, so other great suggestions I didn't have time to collate for today include doing stuff like mind mapping, which makes a ton of sense to me. 
Um, and I guess there's even some like entire schools of thought about how to take notes in a class with something like mind mapping. Uh, the reason I like stuff like mind maps, and, and again, uh, for this one, I would do a physical classic Buzan um, physical mind map. You could do colored pens as he recommends, but one, one reason I love that is uh, you can often find the internal structure of information um, by design in the way that it's presented. Like how often have you had like a bio class, uh, if, if memory serves, a bio class, uh, it could be a constitutional law class, but frequently a, a good professor will preface a bit of teaching by saying, well, we're going to talk, talk about these bones in the arm and here's how many there are. There are these 10 amendments to the Constitution called the Bill of Rights, et cetera. And often you can get a pretty good cue right there about how many of these things you need to write down. Those numbers can be very important and it's already given you a little bit of structure. I know this is not hugely helpful. Like I said, I, I don't remember much and I wasn't a very good student. But um, if you have more feedback uh, about that, uh, anybody wants to send us stuff, you can go to the website. Uh, what, what is it called? 5by5.tv slash B2W. And uh, you can send us uh, more things and we will talk about them on the show because I think this is something a lot of people struggle with. Um, last, last thing on this, you know, there's always that. It's, it's funny because on, on the one hand, the value of recording what is being said makes a ton of sense to me. It's so easy now to just put down your phone or your iPad and have it record the thing for you. Um, so if you have to go back, you can go back and find it. Uh, I think I mentioned to Dan, there used to be, it might still be around, there's a great Mac app called Pear Notes, P-E-A-R Notes. And Pear Notes would record whatever was being captured by the microphone on your laptop as you were typing. So that as you were typing your notes, uh, so that's pretty great on its own, but then at any point you could click inside of your notes and it would play the audio that was happening while you type that particular thing. And I love that because something, something like that, because it frees you from the need to feel like you're a stenographer for what's being said. You don't need to write everything down. You need, you need what you need and you will figure that out. But uh, the recording part makes a ton of sense to me. Um, and then what else do we have here? Mm, mm, mm. Oh, that was a little bit of seltzer. Um, one other letter we got this week that I liked a lot was from uh, listener Nicholas. And this is a pretty classic uh, back to work question. Thank you, listener Nicholas. He said, um, would love for you to elaborate on the push and pull between routines and special events. In the last episode, Merlin talked about being okay with give, giving up a night out with a select group of people due to his everyday schedule. Yeah, hi, that's me. Wondering if the two of you, uh, well, it's just going to be me this week, but wondering if the two of you could go a bit further in your thinking of these opportunities when considering those who travel and or up end their lives for events like WDC and South by Southwest. Uh, when do you think the juice is worth the squeeze, as it were? Um. I'm sure there's something here around growth mindset. Growth mindset, very interesting idea. Uh, but, but I don't follow pop psychology. Is, is, is he is he uh, giving me shade? I can't tell. I can't tell. But, but it's a really good question. How do you weigh that? Um, deciding uh, the push and pull of, of, of when to do stuff. And, um, and, and I think he's implying here, taking into account, I guess, the like pretty rare opportunity of being around, uh, getting to be around people you don't get to see very much, or particularly you think about South by uh, being exposed to information or music or media that you would not normally be exposed to. And the the cop out answer is uh, that that you could guess, listener Nicholas, is the point that depends so heavily on on who you are, what your, what your needs are, um, what your tolerances and sensitivities are. Um, but from for me, um, as the person who's always the karma suck and not going to stuff, I can just give you my, what I think is my reasoning behind it, which is that in some ways I'm very, 
I don't know, a little bit cautious about overextending myself just because overextending myself used to be the way I tried to show my value to people. So I talked about this in a previous episode, but you know, that sort of performance you do for yourself, the performance you do for other people. Well, the truth was when I had my first big boy job in the nineties, I real I wanted to be the first person that arrived and the last person who left. I, I didn't have a ton of 80 hour weeks, but there were definitely a few, but rarely, rarely ever fewer than 50 hours. Um, because that's how I wanted to show value. And I think I did mostly until I, I started downloading all those photos of Betty Page from AOL. That that wasn't helping. But um, but in, in that in that job, it was very important to me to be seen, and uh, partly because it could you know help with my salary and my bonus. And I did get both of those things. I mean, I started it. I think it was twenty two grand a year <laughs> in nineteen ninety one, and it was more than that by the time I left. But in that instance, I, I was I was a young person. I mean, I, I had a girlfriend and a car and stuff, but that my job, in, until I got into band stuff again, my job was like a huge part of my identity. I mean, how common is that for Americans and particularly men? At least people of my age, the Gen, Gen X folks, that was a huge deal is identifying yourself with your job. And uh, as jobs become less of something that one has for a long time, I, I guess that could be less, could be more, I don't know. Um, but But I used to, very willfully overextend myself, whether that was with work or alcohol or Thai food or driving when I'm tired. I used to just be a lot more edgy. I was an edge lord. I was very risky. And uh, thank God there were relatively few things that, that I'm aware of that caused huge consequences for that. But I guess maybe as I got older, maybe as my job changed, maybe as my life changed, uh, even before I had a kid, uh, I... I started to realize, uh, you know, and I have to say, even though I wasn't a very good project manager, project management was a huge part of this, was realizing that if I don't, in, in a high level sense, if I don't build in a little bit of cushion to every estimate that I make, I'm going to get in trouble, right? So, but what do I mean by that? Uh, when you're a project manager, uh, you know, there's a pretty common, you know, uh, rule of thumb to just add a certain percentage to every estimate, even when you've got your best estimate, then add 15, 20% or more on top of it. And I would do that and it would still, stuff would still be late. I mean, I really feel like I got it in my bones that, that something that, that everybody knows, which is humans are terrible at estimation and that almost all of us will overextend ourselves until something breaks if we're not careful. And there's a million things that f feed into this, whether you talk about um, work-life balance, whether you talk about you know career and personal development, all the kinds of things where if one becomes like a dog with a bone and chooses to exclude all other bits of information, I mean, any, anybody can be in a panicked crunch mode for a while. No one should be in a panicked crunch mode for their whole life. I know that that's a very privileged thing to say, but if you have the choice I would avoid the thing where you have to always be crunchy. And so what does it have to do with the question? Well, you know, I I guess I could summarize it as I, I'm a big believer in understanding your own capacity um, and understanding a little bit about risk mitigation. I could be using that term wrong, but you know, just just the notion that if I if I prepare a little bit, maybe not as much as my D D fig preparation, but I want. I know how much, roughly, how much sleep I need. I know how often, when, and what food should go in my body. I know, like, what exercise does and what how that makes me feel. And yes, increasingly, I have to say these days, and this won't be forever. I'm sorry to say, but my family needs me to do stuff, 
And a lot of that is stuff that I can and do schedule. And I'm a real pill about my calendar, as anybody knows. I'm a pill about everybody else's calendar. Like if, if mom's on jury duty, I want to see that on the calendar because that affects the decisions that I make. And I am a pill about it. But even if you don't have the honor of um, helping raise a, a kid, um, here's, here's the thing. Um, well, let me use the kid example. Uh, things go wrong. Things go bad. People get sick. Kids fall down. Cars get flat, flats or like, you know, God forbid, cars get in accidents. And there are going to be a lot of times in your life where you are suddenly called upon in minor and major capacities to move a ton of stuff around to take care of something that really needs to be taken care of right now. Call it a priority if you want. I don't think that's utterly necessary. You can look at it in very stark and reasonable terms as I have a sudden demand increasing for my time and attention. And here's the, here's the problem as it relates to capacity and risk mitigation. If you don't start building in a little bit of that padding to your own estimates, I mean, if you're lucky, everything's on the calendar that you know of. But what happens when something doesn't go right? Or what happens when something changes? Think about this. I've seen the calendar of my good friend Alex Cox and the, the insane calendar that she has to keep of her own stuff, plus all the resources that get used at Cards Against Humanity. And it gives me palpitations just to look at it. Um, first, because I look at that calendar and I go, wow, I would be so frenzied and out of my mind if I had to do all those things and be aware of all those things. But the thing that really puts me over the top is knowing what a change in any of those things means to all of the other things. And this brings me back to a very old example that I swiped from the, uh, the awesome developer and writer uh, and entrepreneur, uh, Joel Spolsky. I used to use this in the Inbox Zero talk, and I still think about it all the time. In talking about software development, if memory serves, Joel Spolsky says, you know, you have to think about having a box. You've got a box of a finite size. It's got a finite volume to it. And, you know, if you're lucky, you get to pick all of the blocks that go into that box, right? It's your life. It's your box, right? You should, you should get to have some agency about that. But here's the thing. You know, he's talking about features. I'm talking about tasks. I'm talking about time and attention. If you have a box that is very, very full, it's going to be difficult if you have a box that is constantly full or nearly full, it gets very difficult to mitigate risk. And it gets very costly and time-consuming to make changes. And so I think that, that can be true for software products. That can be true for who has reserved the conference room. Uh, boy, it can really just whittle your sanity down if you have to keep track of a lot of moving parts at once. It becomes like personal calculus. And it's just not fun. And that's, that's why for myself, for just I'll do me than you. Uh, for me, I will pretty much always, because I am a lazy man, unlike Dan, I will, first of all, err on the side of doing less stuff, doing fewer things, because I don't want to do all the things. Everything you do, every email you respond to, somebody else is going to respond to, right? Every, every time you choose a certain kind of engagement, you can expect more engagement, right? As we used to say, ask yourself what you want 10 times more of. And, and in this case, it's just as... A lazy person would just prefer to have fewer things. But but that laziness or that risk aversion um, also gives me more capacity to do good things. And again, privilege, privilege, privilege. Just write it down. But, you know, at times in my life when I am doing more creative things, um, that is super important to me, to not have my day sliced up into a million little pieces. I Because I, that... It's so much commitment to so many things. It's so much weird downtime. It's so much management of all of these different things. And so just for me, uh, my response to this is um, 
I believe in being very conservative about the things that you commit to, even if it's things you enjoy. Because everything that you commit to is not only a thing of 10,000 other things you can't commit to, but it's another way to, ah, what's that great quote about, you know, daring God by making plans? Um, every time you do something like that, you are decreasing your available overhead for capacity. And that's the thing. Life is really about overhead capacity and the stuff that comes along and being prepared for those things, or at least having the flexibility to change with it. So why don't I go to things like WWDC? Well, like I say, when it was in San Francisco, I would go. But um, for me, it's just a question of like, who's going who's gonna to do this job now? Who's going to do that job now? And I do overthink that, and I do overprepare for that. But I would prefer, because of the ways that I have chosen to line up little bits of my dumb life, um, that's why... Uh, being in the place I am and the age I am, I tend to uh, maintain that excess capacity, seemingly excess capacity for something that really needs it. Now, back to you, you the listener, and to uh, listener Nicholas. You know, you do have to really decide this for you, yourself. You have to decide what is what are your tolerances and sensitivities. And I don't, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to walk up to the edge of tolerance and sensitivity. It's okay to be a little bit like weirdly busy and weirdly overstimulated. Um, and it's even okay to fail. Like you can paint a shiny red cleric and nobody's going to die. It's okay if uh, things aren't done flawlessly, right? So I just want to stipulate you are, you are all different, but you are all different also in the sense that having succeeded and failed, having, having been tired and rested, you will over time evolve a better sense of the, uh, the life you want to have. And let's be honest, the life you would prefer to avoid. So I, I'm not here to prescribe that anybody do anything the way that I'm doing it. What I am prescribing is you give it some thought and that you know what your own tolerances and sensitivities are and what your availability needs to be. Because the more times you make more of yourself available to more people, the fewer times that you will have to make yourself available to other people. And make sure those other people you know, the people that maybe are super valuable to you, get that access. That could be a kid. That could be somebody you're sponsoring in AA. It could it could be somebody who at your church who's having a terrible time. I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to say, like, ha having a super full calendar and a super full brain uh, may make you feel like a one of those uh, wonderfully uh, busy, super online people, but just make sure you're, you're, you're getting what it is that you want and what it is that you need. And if what you need is some scheduled time to go visit with people or go to a concert, for the love of God, do it. I'm not, trying to, I'm not saying become a hermit. I'm just saying um, be aware of what you need your own capacities to be, what other people need your capacities to be, and to um, be sane about that. So thank you to... Um, uh, li uh, listener Nicholas, and to all of our other listeners who have written to us, um, what's the best way to do this? I think, I don't really know how to do this. I think go to 5by5.tv slash B2W, B as in brothers, two is in the number, W is in walrus, and you'll see a link over there on the side somewhere. Here it is, contact Merlin and Dan. Now listen, don't contact us about having somebody be a guest on the podcast. I have had a snoot full of this. It went away for a while, but now they're back. They're back and they're begging for people to be on the podcast and I'm ready to lose my goddamn mind, right? Now, you, the listener, I like you. You're listening to the program. You stayed here for this long, 47 minutes. So, I mean, like, you know, reach out and say hi, yeah, but be nice about it. But listen, listen, nobody wants to meet your CEO and don't follow up. Stop following up. I never asked for the follow-up. Yeah, I got your email. I didn't respond to it. Yeah, yeah. So 
some, sometimes, uh, sometimes null is the response, is what I'm saying. Let me tell you about something that um, my friend Dan and I like a lot. And uh, you, you, you guys know Squarespace. Big fans of Squarespace. Squarespace is a website uh, where you make websites. Whoa, did I blow your mind? Yes, I did. Squarespace. Uh, there's so much you can do with Squarespace. You can create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into a new site. You can showcase your work. You can have a, a, a blog or publish other kinds of online internet content, and you can sell products and services, promote your physical or online business, announce an upcoming event. So, you know, you guys know all this, but, but I just want to remind you about this. And it's not the thing you think. I'm going to remind you about something else. Using Squarespace is so fun. You go into Squarespace, you get the account, you go in, and it's you're dragging and you're dropping, and you're arranging. Do, do you know what a hassle it used to be to change the top menu on a website? you got to go like edit a PHP file or an include. You, you don't worry about that. In, in Squarespace, you just click. You change the name of it. Now that's the name of the section. Like, you've heard about Squarespace so many times. My question to you is, have you ever gone and tried Squarespace? Because it's crazy fun. You know, you can make an Amazon product link. You can have a map. You could sell stuff. Just go to, go to the Squarespace. So Squarespace does all this by giving you beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers. They have powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. The ability to customize the look and feel, the settings, the products, anything with just a few clicks. And then, of course, they have a, uh, a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. There's, you guys, there's so many weird extensions, and you can get those on the Squarespace. It's Squarespace. They have analytics that help you grow in real time. Of course, they have built-in search engine optimization, or SEO, as I call it. They have free and secure hosting. Nothing to patch or upgrade, ever. And they're uh, 24 by 7 award-winning customer support. And, and so, so what do you do now? Well, you go and you get the Squarespace. You go to squarespace.com slash it's your show, one word, it's your show, for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the very special offer code, it's your show, one word, and that'll save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash it's your show. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting 5 by 5 and back to work. Woo, this is weird, huh? My coffee's a little bit cold. Um, oh, oh. Thank you guys for letting me do this. This is uh, this is wild. I haven't done this in a while. I don't know if anyone will listen to this. Oh, I won't really have any way of knowing, but I, but I hope it's tolerable. Uh, let's let's uh, let's sign off with some uh, with some fun stuff. Uh, Dan and I sometimes like like to talk about recommendations, and so I'm going to recommend some things uh, that are happening in my neck of the woods. Uh, try to get an interesting handful here. Okay, first of all, <clears throat> as I said before, well you you can go to that that uh, Gamescape on Divisadera in San Francisco. They're pretty great. Something I learned about from one of the um, <clears throat> D&D miniature painting videos is this Bananas website. Yes, I know. If you're a nerd, you, you know about this. And if you're not a nerd, you don't care. I can't help you either way. But you got to go check out this thing. It's called miniaturemarket.com. It's in show notes, miniaturemarket.com. And they have the craziest array of cool nerd stuff. It is a lot, a lot, a lot of miniatures. They got paint, they got sets, they got all kinds of different stuff. But if you are even vaguely interested in making a little fig and you don't have a gamescape in your neighborhood or similar, go check out Miniature Market. And, and again, if you are interested in this stuff, um, check out those videos and notes because I found them extremely helpful. You know, I made a uh, I made a paladin, so I'm not exactly sweating it. Um, something I mentioned um, last night as I record this on, on the internet, I recently started rewatching a show. Oh, it's so good. This is a television program you can get on the HBO. It's called Band of Brothers. And um, it's really just shockingly good. Uh, as I mentioned on, on the internet, I, I do remember, I remember two things coming out around 9-11. I remember Jay-Z's album, The Blueprint, and I remember Band of Brothers, both coming out right around 9-11. I think Jay-Z was actually on Tuesday, September 11th. 
but you know, he, he still did pretty well with that. But Band of Brothers came out and my lady and I were so into this show. It's so awfully good, but it was just a little bit too much, a little bit too intense for how, how well, the feels of September, uh, uh, 2001. Did I say 11? 2001. I don't even know what decade it is. I did it, Jason. I did it, Jason Snell. I dropped a decade. So what is Band of Brothers? Well, you know that line, if you're, if you're a Shakespeare head, if you're a shake head like me, you know that's a, a, a line from Henry V, right? Band of Brothers. Be he ne'er so vile this day, she'll gentle his condition. And that's what it's about. It's about, it's a World War II story uh, that focuses on one company um, in the Airborne. And uh, basically in the run-up to the training that they go through, and then really focusing on what their role was in both D-Day, after D-Day, and the Battle of the Bulge, which was not a, a great thing. Um, and, you know, so first, <laughs> uh, right, right off the dome, so many good actors. You got the red-haired guy from Homeland. You got, um, you got, um, you got um, a dum-dum from, uh, what's his name? Dum-dum Duggan, whatever his name is, the guy with the hat and the mustache from Captain America. He's in it. You have the young Professor X. He's in it. Jimmy freaking Fallon is in it. Yes, he is. Uh, this is, yeah, it came out in 2001. Um, so many great actors, so many great roles. But man, this this show hits you. It's uh, it's just sometimes the stories of what people do for each other in war can just be extremely moving, and that's that's I think why Band of Brothers is such a great title for it. It's really a story about the things that we do to protect each other, you know. And like a lot of my favorite things, it's a story about the sacrifices we each make. Um, as a result of being part of a big system, right? So you know, whether you're talking about The Wire, or or Deadwood, or Chernobyl. It's, it's, it's how Game of Thrones for the first six seasons. It's really about trying to do the right thing when there's a big system that has what it wants you to do and what you are compelled to do. Sacrifices, I've also been listening to that uh, Dan Carlin Hardcore History podcast. I'm still in the trench days of World War I in that, but just the stories of stuff I can't even imagine having to deal with. Um, and, and this has a lot of that, but it's also, it's got the, some great performances, wonderful writing, such good storytelling, still seems utterly modern. The thing's 18 years old and it still looks great. Check out Band of Brothers on HBO. Um, it, it's not a super happy story, but in some ways it is. And the way that it ends is going to make you cry. It's really nice. Here, here's a really random one. This is wild. I, I put this one in here because um, I was telling my wife about this. Uh, there's this thing you should get uh, for your computer called the National Park Typeface. I know, this sounds really weird. But there's a free typeface these folks have made that looks like the hand-routed signs in a national park. It kind of looks a little bit like a squishy Helvetica rounded. Uh, Helvetica round? But you, you should check it out, the National Park Typeface. That's something I'm recommending. Um, what, what else am I recommending? Oh, I, you know, um, so Syracuse, I, I'm sure I pronounced some things wrong. Something I learned about from Syracuse, Snell via Syracuse. I just want to recommend this band again, band churches and their album, the bones of what you believe. Jiminy Christmas. I listened to that this morning. The reason I put it here is I was listening to it this morning as I, I wrote some of these things down. It's still so awfully good. The first three songs on the bones of what you believe are got to be one of the classic triples of, of sequencing. I mean, it's up there with, uh, with some of my favorite who's could do, uh, three first, uh, check out the band churches with the V churches, the bones of what you believe. Now, finally, this, this is, this is going to be my last one. My last recommendation. I got to get out of here. Um, this is a provisional recommendation. It's for a product from the company called tile. And I got a history with tile. Tile has been kind of on my bad list for a while. Cause I, I was all in on tile and then they made me mad and they made me mad again. 
Okay, so, so the recommendation is going to be for something called Tile Pro. But first, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why it's provisional and why I'm mad. And Tile, you're, you're still, you're on, you are on warning right now. Don't screw this up. For years, Tile has made these really cool little plastic squares with a button on it. And long story short, what you do is you register each of these little tiles on your, in my case, iOS device. And now, using uh, Bluetooth, um, you're able to locate lost things, whether that's something in your house, something that got left behind. But, you know, but the way Tile has worked, and this is something Apple is going to heavily bring to us, I think, in iOS 13, is the ability to utilize a community to find stuff. So I did some experiments with this because I'm a weirdo, and I tried burying some tiles, and I tried leaving a tile at Walgreens, even though it made my daughter very embarrassed. And the truth is, within a day or so, other people who have the Tile app on their phone without even realizing it will have found that Tile and let you know. Why is this useful? We have one of my daughter's ukulele. I have one in my wallet. We have one in each of our suitcases. And if for some reason we can't find something, the Tile locator will help you find it. And when, when, you, when it is found, you can say have it make a noise. And, and it plays a really annoying little ding-ding tune. Um, tile has been driving me crazy, and I'll tell you why. Uh, so I've, I've been all in on tiles for a while, but every tile is only meant to live for one year. It's like Logan's Run, but for luggage. Every tile in the past has had an un-user-changeable uh, battery, and basically the tile just dies. Now, now here's the thing. On day 365 of your tiles after activation, you start getting nasty gramps in the tile app that says, oh, you got to go change the tile on the ukulele because now it has to go to carousel and go to another place. And it becomes incredibly costly to keep replacing these stupid plastic dinguses that you really only really use maybe a couple times a year. And it's been making me so mad because I have been all in and I don't want to use uh, lose the ukulele. It's a nice ukulele. We got a nice one for her, and I don't want to lose that. And so it's been frustrating. And over time, the tiles have gotten better. They've gotten louder. They've increased their range. D to D. Well, I learned just the other day, because I needed to replace some tiles and was not happy about it. Um, my friend uh, Phil Michaels had written a, a really good, um, which kinds of these dinguses are best to buy in 2019? And shock of shocks, I think it was in Tom's Guide, shock of shocks, uh, he recommended Tile Pro. And then I made this noise. I said, huh, huh, Tile Pro, eh? And guess why? Guess guess one reason Tile Pro is good. I don't know if it's Pro, but it's good. Guess why? Because it now has a replaceable battery. Now, when you buy one of these, it's still it's roughly the same size. It's not big, but it's got one of those. What is it? Um, CR three zero four two. Whatever. One of those like watch batteries in it. And I tested it out. It is user serviceable. Um, you can do uh, it, it, so now. I, I'm I'm I'm. You know what? You're still you're still on warning, Tile Pro. Don't screw this up. But uh, I'll put it in show notes. You can check out Tile Pro. If you lose stuff like I do, you can put it on a keychain. You can put it on a ukulele. Don't put it right on the ukulele because it might impede the uh, the plucking and fingering. Mm. But uh, Tile Pro. So that's that's a bunch of suggestions. So listen, I need to um I need to button this up. Uh, I don't know if anyone will listen to this, but but I, but I have hopes that someone will. Um, I want to say thanks to um to our sponsors this week, which are Luna Display and Squarespace. Thank you so much for your generous support of Back to Work. As ever, you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, this is episode. Uh, what is this episode? Is this episode four thirty? Is that really right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can find uh, notes for episode uh, four thirty of Dan's Back to Work program. You go to five by five tv slash b two w slash four three zero. Need to correct that. 
And you can find um, links and uh, a little bit of notes to what I've talked about here today. Um, to my friend Dan, uh, I hope you feel better soon, buddy. You know what? You, you guys, send a nice note to Dan if you want. He's at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. But have it be nice. Don't be snarky about it. Say something nice to Dan and say, I'm sorry you weren't there, and I'm sorry you let Merlin talk about clerics for that long. It's okay. Be, but be nice to him and be nice to me, or I will ban you from listening to the show. Feel better, Dan. And like I say, God willing, uh, we will be back at our usual day with the classic format next week, hopefully next Tuesday. Uh, thank you all so much for, for listening this week. I hope it hasn't been too intolerable. Um, uh, thanks very much. I appreciate it. And, and until next time, uh, I'll see you in cyberspace. Bang 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 b